Hello and welcome to the Baseball Wisconsin Podcast. I am your host, Tim Gotzler. Uh, today's episode takes us into the seventh inning of Game 5, where we sit down with the head baseball coach at Kenosha Tremper High School, John Matera. Now, Coach Matera, on top of being the now recently inducted in the 2023 class of WBCA Hall of Fame, he's also the athletic director at Tremper, and he's also an alumni of Tremper. So, you know, when he talks through this episode, he's going to take you through his, his career path, um, you know, his playing career, his coaching career, life as an administrator. But one reason I, I kind of kept this episode to where I did because we are just staring down tryouts, right? I'm releasing this on the 15th of March in just a handful of days as tryouts across the state of Wisconsin. And, you know, we're at that point of the year where I think Coach Matera's message is, is stronger than ever. He goes into his why of coaching, his definition of success, and you know maybe this is something to listen to now, but also maybe at the end of the year, regardless of how our teams do, wins and losses wise. And you know one thing I do appreciate too is kind of off air. When we recorded this, Tramper was hiring a football coach, and at the same time here at Menominee Falls, we were going through our, our head football coach hiring process. And you know we often I think forget as head coaches of big programs. It doesn't mean like big program doesn't mean you've won X amount of games or you have three levels and a hundred kids at tryouts. It's just, you know, sports, football, basketball, baseball, soccer, softball, whatever it may be. You just have an opportunity to impact kids. And, you know, you think about a, a, a men leading young adolescents and you got to think about John Matera. And, you know, obviously the Hall of Fame has to do with the baseball side and the wins and losses and the conference championships and so on and so forth. But just the kind of person that he is, the leader that he is, the stamp he's left not only in his community, but also across the state of Wisconsin. So really excited to get you this episode. And without further ado, 2023 Hall of Fame class inductee and head baseball coach and athletic director at Kenosha Tremper High School and a Tremper alumni himself, John Matera. Hey, Coach, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Tim. Yeah, love, appreciate your time. Hey, um, just for the for the listeners, just get us started. What's your background in baseball? Where did you grow up? Kind of walk us through your playing career a little bit. Okay. Well, I'm originally from Kenosha, Southside kid. Um, grew up there, uh, moved a couple of different times, but kind of stayed on the South Side. I'm fortunate enough to have attended Tremper. I know I'm one of uh, a number of coaches who are now coaching at their alma mater. Uh, came up through our local leagues in town here, uh, played some travel baseball uh, for our Western Kiwanis baseball program. Uh, when At a time when Kiwanis and Legion were really the only two opportunities, it, it seemed like back in the day, if you were one of the best 15 kids, you were on the Legion team. If you were one of the second best 15 kids, you were on the Kiwanis team. So I definitely was on that Kiwanis team. Uh, was fortunate enough uh, to play high school ball at Tremper for three years. We we had a had a time in Kenosha where we didn't have ninth grade in the high school. So you started here as a as a sophomore and and played through. And during that time in high school, really developed a, a love for not only baseball but just the high school game in particular. And it, it was at that point I really uh, developed a desire to coach it. Uh, really had some some coaching experiences while in high school. I, I remember being uh, between my sophomore and junior year coaching an 11U team. And the only reason I was coaching it is because they were, they were short coaches 
And someone from the local league called over to the school to our high school coach and said, Hey, do you have any players that might be able to do this? And and he said, yeah, I've got a you know, couple in mind and put my name out there. So me and a buddy uh, coached that team for the summer had absolutely no idea what we were doing um, in the, in the grand scheme of things and just did the best we could with it. And really that was my getting my feet wet, my first taste of, of coaching um, after high school, went on to UW whitewater, really had no desire uh, to play beyond high school, probably didn't have the ability to play at whitewater, but really wanted to get into coaching. So was, uh, was all lined up to coach uh, the summer after my freshman year, but even during my freshman year at whitewater wanted to get more involved with, with learning of the game. So I went to see the baseball coach at whitewater. Uh, many of us know him at Jim Miller, uh, was a, a a great ambassador for baseball in our state, and he didn't know me at all. But I just walked in one day and said, "Hey, how do I um, develop in this game?" And he said, "Well, I, I can tell you the best thing to do is a couple months from now." And this was about um, late November, early December. He said, "Go to this clinic that our state puts on. It's called the WBCA Coaching Clinic, and at that time it was held in downtown Milwaukee." Uh, so I knew nothing, didn't didn't know anybody, uh, but signed up for it. Went to the the coaching clinic and think I've been at it now every year except one and uh, it, it's just been a, a game changer for me as a coach well I can't let you go too far down your coaching uh, background before hearing about more as you as a player like okay give us a scout report as you as a player and and you know does your playing days reflect how you coach and how you go about it today I think so. I think there are, are some parallels there. Um, as a player, I, I really didn't develop f- physically until after after high school. I think I graduated high school at about 155 pounds, um, had poor eyesight, didn't even really realize I needed uh, contacts or glasses until about my senior year. Um, and you ask about a, a scouting report. Uh, so I, I can give you the a kind of a tongue-in-cheek scouting report is uh, I was I had a, a good glove and a weak arm. I could play a, a pretty mean second base, not make a lot of errors. Um, pitching was kind of my thing. I, I changed speeds pretty well. I had a um, mediocre fastball, um, a changeup, and then a, a curve by name only because it didn't break all that much. Um, I was I was a beneficiary of a great infield uh, that played behind me. Um, hitting wise, um, it, it was rough. I, I got hit by a lot of pitches. I think I got hit by 26 pitches in in three years of high school baseball. I I think I ran the bases pretty well. I remember one time going first to third on a single. Thought I read it really well. Slid head first into third and got up and was safe. And, and my high school coach at the time said, your lack of speed actually made that close. Um, so it was, uh, that, that was my, my foray in, in high school baseball. Um, as far as scouting report on me as a hitter, it was definitely, uh, go fastballs down the outer half or fastballs down the middle. Cause he's probably not gonna, not gonna do much with them. Don't go inside because, uh, he won't pull it, but he's going to try to get hit by it. And he's going to try to get on base that way, or he's going to bunt it. Uh, so I think that I was more of like a, like, a um, Pedroia type player where I was uh, pretty scrappy and, uh, and had a little bit of an edge to me as a player, um, really respected the game, respected other people that played it, but I really had to do what worked for me and uh, try to compete for not only a spot, um, but also to help us win when I was in there. Well, and I've asked so much, and I, I have to feel like, you know, the position you're in now coaching for all these years, you know, when you go to tryouts and you see a kid like that, you, you probably have a little bit of a soft spot in your heart for that kid because you can relate to that kid because you were him that had to give every ounce of that, kind of pedroia hustle it just didn't come easy to you is that is that pretty accurate 
Absolutely. I, I sometimes think that, hey, maybe that was uh, that was just a, a gift from God as far as my my lack of physical skill that I, I really wanted to have back then, where now I can relate to the majority of the players that that really aren't that elite player and and try to help coach them, bring them along, help them try to turn some weaknesses into strengths and bring bring those players up to a certain level so they can uh, compete and have success and maybe even play some beyond high school. I uh, love that. Well, hey, I want to dig, dig, dig back into your uh, background here. So you're coaching 11U as a high schooler. You get to college. You knock on, on Coach Miller's door. sends it to WBCA. I'm guessing, you know, you get ignited there. You get the itch. So so pick us up in the story right there. So I go to that first WBCA clinic. I remember one of the big speakers there, kind of the headliner that year, was Gary Ward from Oklahoma State. And that's a name for the from the past. Um, and I was just blown away by the the mass number of high school coaches that were there. And it was just amazing to sit in these sessions and hear clinics. At that time, we didn't have podcasts or online access to, to clinics. So that was really the first baseball clinic that I went to. And I had my, my spiral notebook and my pen, and I was just taking crazy notes just the, the whole weekend. And you're, you're meeting WBCA people. And it's people who are who are on the exec board, some of which are still on the exec board. And you just develop such an appreciation for what this association's doing for amateur baseball in Wisconsin. So I, I went to that for, I think it was the third clinic that I was at. And I was getting toward my degree at Whitewater. And it was, I believe, the spring of, it was February 93. And I ran into my high school coach there. And I still remember it was in, at the same hotel in Milwaukee. And he, he said, so when are you going to come coach with me? I said, well, whenever you ask. He said, well, I, I don't have a paid spot for you, but I have a volunteer spot. So I jumped at that. And actually, my first season coaching at Tremper, I was commuting from Whitewater every day where I would drive home. We would have those early season indoor practices or maybe our gym time was seven to nine. I'd jump back in the car and drive the hour and 15 back to Whitewater, get back there 10, 15, 10, 30 or so. And just did that every day and just loved it. And that turned into five years of um, assistant coach on varsity as a volunteer, the last three of which I was the, the pitching coach. And then when the JV spot opened up as the head JV coach, I um, said I, I really wanted to do that because I eventually wanted to be a head coach. So I moved into that role uh, and took that on for six years before becoming the head coach. So, you know, I, I think about you know, your journey through, through education, your journey through uh, playing career, um, that commute. I mean, it just, the, the commitment of that commute is, is, is really honorable, you know, paid or not just, just to, to spend that time on the road um, really sets you up for that, for that work ethic, you know, and now, right. You, you become a head coach and I'm sure like all of us, you were young, you were going to change the world. You knew everything, you know, just give you the keys. You're going to win a state championship the next year. So kind of walk us through who you were that first year head coach. That was tough. Um, it, it was tough because we we started out ten and zero, so it reaffirmed some of the things you you were saying a, a second ago. And then I think we went five and eight through our through our last thirteen. So went into that off season and tried to re reevaluate things. We we got beat in a one run game, extra inning game in the sectional semifinal. Um, so it was tough because you really had a, a lot of uh, aspirations to do great in this game from a winning standpoint, and it really took me a, a few years to not tie my worth as a coach 
uh, to how we were doing on the field. Um, and, and I think that I'm a better coach now uh, because of that experience. And if I was to go back, I would. I, I wish I could have have been the coach for those kids at that point that I, that I feel I am to these kids now. And really, the thing that's changed is really my perspective on it. All right. So now now we got to dig in because this is you know I think this is something all coaches struggle with is you know trying to validate yourself with wins and losses, trying to validate yourself with championships or college commitments or whatever, some sort of external factor. So. The other thing I want to mention too is is your full time job as an athletic director. So now, you know, you sit in that chair. You have you know dozens of varsity sports. You're interviewing coaches. You're doing evaluations, but then you evaluate yourself. So how do you measure success if it's not just by wins and losses? And we're sure. competitive. We're competitors. We want to win. So how do you measure success? Well, well, first off, I'm as competitive as they get, and and you know, we're trying to win every game that we that we. Um, go out there for and it, it's never been a game where it's like I think we're going to lose this one we're always thinking yeah we're going to win it, it wasn't really until I, I went to uh, something called inside out coaching uh, that's led by uh, Joe Ehrman a former former NFL player and now he he runs an organization called inside out coaching where you really try to develop what your why is as a coach what's what's important to you why are you coaching and it took me a while to figure that out. So you asked about what what I consider coaching success. And of course, we're trying to win. But coaching success, I guess, in a broader sense to me is 20 years from now, uh, the kids I'm coaching have confidence. Uh, they're committed to things. They deal effectively with setbacks. Uh, they're focused on their family. They're focused on team first, whether that be in their family or in their job. And they they demonstrate integrity and empathy. Wow. Okay. So, and I just got to share this because when I had, we had our first child, it was about the time I read Joe Ehrman's book, Inside Out Coaching. And I don't know when, how it got recommended to me, but I read that and then, you know, I was a new dad and I just had this moment of like, oh my gosh, you know, what, what are we in this for? So at what point of your career did you attend that seminar? It was probably about 12, 12, 15 years ago, maybe. Um, somewhere in that range. I don't remember exactly when it was, but it was probably in that 12 to 15 year ago range. And I think that that was something that that helped me considerably as far as going through the process of defining what what your why is. Why, why are you doing this? And if it's only about wins and losses, you're going to be disappointed a lot. And it's got to be about something deeper than that. And that has stuck with me and going through that process of identifying my purpose and what I define as coaching success has just helped me can help me immeasurably as far as becoming uh, the coach that I'm trying to be every day for these kids now. So as a leader of, of the program, the baseball program, how do you, how do you relay that message to your coaches? You got a large coaching staff, you got, you know, families in your program, you have a lot of players. How do you relay that to your, to the rest of your program? I think it's, it's something that we identify right away at our first coaches meeting and we tell the parents, um, we're going to treat every kid like they're our own kid and as if they had our same last name. And I think that's something that parents respect and maybe they don't even understand at the, at the outset, but we're going to try to treat these kids well. It, it doesn't mean that we're not going to have hard conversations with them. And I, I think the other thing that we try to communicate is that there are going to be corrections, but there's a huge difference between corrections and criticism. Um, corrections are trying to help bring someone up and help make them better. Criticism is, is 
is simply an attack. And I think sometimes maybe that that line gets a little bit blurred by people. Uh, but but uh, in terms of identifying what we consider coaching success, I think every coach has to do that for him or herself. But in terms of the philosophy of our program, I want it to be about something that's a lot deeper than baseball, even though baseball is what we're doing in the immediacy. Wow. I, I mean, I ho- hopefully coaches listen to this and they think, well, even a Hall of Fame coach, even an athletic director, even a guy at a, a big Division One school, you know, talks this way and he lives this way and it gives him self-reflection. So I want to pivot a little bit too, as I asked you how you let it, you know, germinate in your, your program. Um, talk about your role as an athletic director and how that impacts you as a coach, but also how you maybe pass on that philosophy. Cause I'm guessing that's gotta be an organizational philosophy in Tremper athletics as well. I think it is. And, and I see my role as an athletic director, as someone who is really, um, a support system for coaches. And I guess in some respects, I'm, I'm coaching the coaches. Now we have different coaches of different experience levels, different ages, and different coaches need different things from me. Um, but I think that we try to establish big picture about athletics being used as a vehicle for moving kids from here to there, as opposed to simply being just the game or the meet or the match and what the result of that is. We want it to be something that's a little bit bigger. And I I think that we do uh, pretty well with that. I think uh, we're not perfect with it by any stretch. And it's something that's it's ongoing development. But I think that having the ability to step back and say, okay, what do we want these kids to get out of this program for the long term rather than just this week or or this season or how we're going to do in our conference or in the tournament is is a big question to ask and it's something that helps get you thinking about what why are you doing this and what do we want the the big picture to be for these kids well i'll ask i'll ask you um you know you kind of touched on this stuff already but like what is your why what is your purpose what you know why do you put this time in to this program well um i really want to help the kids develop uh, confidence and learn how to be committed to stuff. Um, I want to help them learn how to deal with setbacks, um, develop into outstanding team members, and then set up a foundation um, for a life that is is based on integrity and and have an empathy for other people. And that that might sound kind of abstract, um, but really it it's about learning how to commit to something. Um, having that self-confidence and being able to deal not only with the successes, but with the failures. We, we hear a lot about how sports teaches things. And I, and I really don't know if sports teaches the things. I think it's the, the coaches who use sport uh, to teach things. And I'm not um, puffing out my chest by any stretch or saying I do that better than others. Um, we have a, a ton of great coaches in, in many, many sports, not only at our school, but, but statewide who do sports the right way and, and use it as a means of teaching kids bigger lessons. I know that, you know, I, I spent most of my teaching career up to this point um, and my coaching career um, not married. And it wasn't until about five years ago I got married and my wife has a, has a daughter. And now all of a sudden we have a blended family and it wasn't going to be, okay, this is going to be my way and we're going to do it this way. It was, all of us kind of collaborating on stuff. And then it occurred to me that all the the research that I've been doing on team building so I could use with the baseball program was applicable in my family life as well. Wow. Um, 
That's, that's, that's some powerful stuff right there. And it sounds like, you know, you have just being ever self-reflective changes in your own personal life, changes to your career. Um, you were in the classroom. When did you get into administration? Um, I, I became athletic director. It's a little over 15 years ago now. So I started, uh, in, in January of 2008, I believe it was. So it's been, it's been quite a while and I've been able to, uh, to look at things from a lot of different angles and having that role as athletic director has allowed me to see some really cool things that coaches are doing. Uh, and also it's allowed me to see some things that, that maybe we want to, to adjust and, and, uh, help coaches avoid stepping in some potholes. So it, I've, I've learned a lot in the role and, uh, I think I've become a better coach as a result. I'm sure. And it sounds like you're just a kind of a glutton for professional development and, you know, you're shaped by the people you've surrounded yourself with. So maybe let's go back into that, like, you know, kind of the old sports talk radio question. You think about the the major influences on your life, your coaching career, maybe who are those three or four people on, on the Mount Rushmore um, of influences for you? There are so many uh, people who have had such an impact on me, and, and obviously uh, my parents, my grandparents, uh, aunts and uncles. I, I think specifically in, in the coaching role, um, the first person that, that really set me on fire for coaching was uh, my high school JV coach who had previously had a short stint as our high school head coach, um, Coach Ernie Virgili. Um world champion handball player, super competitive, really taught me about the importance of toughness and discipline and how baseball is played as a team, as opposed to just an individual at bat or you're out there alone on the mound. Um, he really went farther and helped me understand it's, it's not necessarily just a seven inning game. It, it's actually seven, one inning games. You're trying to, that whole win the inning mindset is really what I, I learned from him um, early on. Then my high school head coach, uh, Lee Halefka, who's also a WBCA Hall of Famer. I think he was inducted back in 2000. Uh, he eventually offered me the uh, the assistant coach role here. Uh, taught me a lot about competitiveness and, and preparation and gave me that first shot to uh, to join onto the Tremper program and then hired me as the, the JV coach six years after that. And then actually re recommended me as the head coach uh, when he retired after that 2003 season. I think um, I, I also have to say, I've never met him, but uh, Mike Krzyzewski from Duke Basketball, um, really the, the book Leading with the Heart that he wrote, um, I probably read that around that same time of Inside Out Coaching, and, and it resonated quite a bit with me just from the standpoint of how to develop teamwork, a positive team culture, uh, really segmenting the season into different parts in order to keep things fresh, um, the importance of having a detailed practice schedule. And I think maybe the most important is about how to have just excellence exude from your program in all areas where even the way uh, you wear the uniform is to be done at the, at the highest level. And that's something I've tried to set as our, our standard here. And then I think uh, that that fourth um, component or influence from Mount Rushmore is, is just so many WBCA members, uh, people like, uh, Mark Fuller, Ron Kading, Tom Wilson, uh, Marty Paulson, Joe Waite, uh, so many others that have been involved, been involved that I've gotten to know on the executive board. People like uh, Ryan McGinnis and Bob Galitta, Rob Hamilton, uh, Chad Montez, uh, Scott Howler, Scott Stoudy, just to name a few. I think collectively they're part of that Mount Rushmore because the WBCA has has really um, impacted me so much as a coach. It's it's really shaped me as far as uh, how I work as a member of a of a, a, a supportive association. I think that's one of the great things about our association.
is you're, you're working with people in the association who are doing the same thing you're doing. Yeah, different communities, different sets of kids, but we have a lot of the same challenges. So it's just that support system of people who are right there alongside you. Well, thanks for going going thanks for going through all that. Um now I kind of like to dig into Tremper baseball a little bit. Kind of give us that flyover view a little bit, that 30,000 foot view. Um uh, how many teams do you carry? You know, how many kids typically come to tryouts? You know, give us the give us the structure of, of your of your program currently. Okay, well, we have a, a varsity team, obviously. Then we have a JV one team and a JV two team. So we have three levels in the program, and we typically will have uh, between sixty and seventy kids try out uh, for the program in a given year. We will generally keep. 40 to 45 of those kids. We typically will do about three or four days of tryouts, and then we just jump right into uh, to practice and starting to get that terminology down. To, to me, it's the high school baseball season is kind of predictable in that it's about two weeks of practice, then about two months of games with practices mixed in. And I use, use the phrase mixed in because sometimes that practice is an evening practice in the gym. Sometimes it's a full-on practice out on the field. And then after those two months of games, now you just jump into the playoffs right after Memorial Day. So it, it's kind of predictable in that respect. And one of the things that the kids say is, man, this season flies by and the school year flies by. Um, we will will typically uh, play in, in our conference uh, 21 conference games and then five non-conference games at the varsity and JV1 level. Not every school in our conference has JV2, so it's a lot of scheduling of non-conference games and just to try to get games of whoever will will play us and we try to keep the terminology the same we just have one field that we practice on so oftentimes all three teams are together for at least a portion of practice before the uh, jv1 and jv2 teams branch off and they they hit in our cages and then the varsity will hit on the field but it's something where we try to keep the terminology the same among all levels of the program where we've we've got some consistency there so kids know what they're talking about when they go from one level of the program to the other. A couple of questions about the first couple of days. You know, I, I, it sounds to me like your numbers and your size are similar to what we have Menominee Falls. And, you know, we constantly talk about how to structure tryouts. So what do you guys do? Is it more of a showcase style? You try to inner squad, like, do you have anything unique you do um, in your evaluations to, cause obviously you're cutting kids, you know, you're making some very difficult decisions. Um, right. So what does that look like in your program? Right. Well, we typically um, haven't been able to inner squad simply because uh, the weather um, around that time of the year doesn't lend itself well to getting out on the field. There was that one year in spring of 21 where they pushed us back about a month and we started and we did have the tryouts entirely on the field. But I think that's the only time since we've been in spring baseball. We actually played summer baseball for eight years uh, back in the 90s and early 2000s. Um, but to get back to your question, um, it, it's typically a lot of uh, throwing program, evaluating uh, throwing. It's a lot of station work where maybe they'll be at a station for 10 to 15 minutes doing uh, whatever drills are set up for that station, whether it be a fielding drill or a throwing drill. Uh, we'll also have time set aside in our, our cages. Um, and usually we take at least one day and we look at uh, pitchers and catchers. Uh, we, we look at uh, pitchers out of the stretch and wind up uh, what they throw, um, how will they control it? Looking at the velocity, we look at the catchers from a technique standpoint, uh, arm strength, um, just the the whole receiving aspect of it. And and ultimately we have to make those decisions. So we've typically gone about three days with those with those tryouts and just rotating the kids among several different stations 
uh, utilizing the coaching staff and the, the indoor facility to, to our fullest. Fortunately, we've got a, a turf infield um, outside of our gym. So there have been times where maybe the outfield is, is too wet to get on, but we'll go do some stuff on the infield, whether that be infield work or outfield work. Um, or, or some some running type thing, just just to see the kids on the field, maybe working on uh, their ability to judge uh, fly balls or pop ups. So it's been invaluable since we put that turf field in. That's fantastic. Now, uh, just digging into your program more, um, is there any things you you know some unique things you guys do? Is it team building exercises? Something in the structure that I know you know one of your missions is to to give your kids the best experience possible, to have the best experience that they could possibly have at your school. So like, give us some, some of the, the, the finer details. Okay. Uh, we try to do some goal setting at the start of every season. And, and I don't know if, if we're unlike um, other teams in that respect, I think a lot of teams are doing goal setting. I think one thing that we do quite a bit, especially at the beginning of the season is in the preseason, we pretty much start every practice off with a classroom session where we're upstairs in a classroom kind of going over the practice plan for the day or what the priorities are. For instance, we might be going over, um, might be going over uh, leadoffs against a left-hander or whatever we're going over, bunt coverage. And here are the points that we're working on. Here's the, the diagram to kind of visually show it. Maybe here's a short video on what we're trying to emphasize. Here's the practice plan for today. Here's the hitting groups. And then when we get into the gym or out on the field, now everybody kind of knows what they're doing and they can just refer to the written practice plan that, that's posted. So we, we start out a lot with, with classroom sessions. And not only do we talk about baseball, we talk about the other stuff, um, the team building stuff, trying to get the kids closer, maybe some get to know you activities. A lot of the kids know each other already just from playing a lot of baseball. Uh, but that's really where we go over the the things like goal setting. Uh, one of the things that we we did, and I think we've done it nine or ten times now, is we've done a spring trip to Florida. We haven't done that uh, since I believe it was eighteen or nineteen. We were scheduled to go in in spring two thousand twenty, and then that got canceled, of course, with COVID. Um, and we haven't made those plans to go back to it. Uh, one of the things that we've that we've done um, for the team building is just something simple like a, a pizza day when we do our, our field cleanup day. Um, we've had different pasta parties at, at kids' homes where their parents have everyone over and everyone either brings something or their parents provide it. One of the, one of the cool things we did recently is we're about, um, I would say about an hour or so from uh, Milwaukee. Uh, so we've gotten a bus and maybe even during spring break, uh, gone up there and done an escape room uh, where the kids can just have some time away from baseball, but still enjoying each other as, as friends. Well, we'll do an escape room, um, break them apart into different groups, send them to different escape rooms at the facility, and then, and then go grab something to eat after. Oh, that's great. It just sounds like, like you said, it's so quick. You know, it, it, the, the season starts, and then, you know, you get bad weather, you're inside, you get good weather, you're playing constantly. To try to work some of those things in there strategically um, is, is really valuable. Um, you've had a tremendous amount of success um, at your time, you know, as head baseball coach. Like, what do you, I know you're a humble guy, but what would you attribute that success to, you know, as you, as you analyze it, you know, from the C-Trat right now, you know, what have been some of those keys to successful program? I think as far as the winning, uh, we've had to have really good players and, and we, we have had a lot of really good players through here. I, I also think that there is an incredible amount of, of buy-in uh, from the kids. And I feel that the kids, especially the kids who are, who are leaders in the program have established a really positive team culture where it feels 
inclusive to everybody as opposed to, well, the seniors are over here, the juniors are here, these two or three friends are over there. I, I feel like there's a, a lot of um, a, a lot of shepherding in of younger kids and taking care of them. For instance, we've, we've had situations where we had younger players on our varsity and what I've heard from them after the fact is, yeah, I really was kind of nervous going into it, but really was made to feel part of it as a result of what the older guys did and how they took care of me and how they reached out to me and extended their, their hand. And, and I think it, it says a lot about the quality of the character we have on the team, not just the quality of the player. So I feel that we've, we've done a, a really good job uh, with that. And that's, that's all attributable to the quality of the kids and the families that we've, we've had uh, from a coaching standpoint. I think we've, we've done a good job of trying to keep things consistent and keep things as simple as we, we can. Well, and like a lot of coaches across the state, I would say almost most coaches across the state, you know, you're now we're dealing with, and I would say dealing with, but the situation is, you know, we have a club ball, travel ball, academy ball. They get turned over to us for the spring. We turn them back for the summer. How have you navigated that relationship throughout your career, especially maybe the past six, seven years, as we've seen more and more intensify? Yeah, it's a great question. We we have a lot of travel ball in this part of the state. Some of it is um, more more club centered, where the kids are actually going to a facility throughout the winter and they're um, doing strength training there, doing uh, infield lessons, velocity lessons, um, full on team practices, or maybe they're at it uh, sometimes five and six days a week. We have other teams that maybe don't have a facility, but maybe they rent out our facility or another school in town and they, they just go in to, to use the cages where it's a little bit more low key than a, than a full-on club. Um, so we have kids with a, with a lot of different experiences, club or travel or just in-house baseball-wise. I think a lot of that, I think so much of it depends on the, the kids' uh, desire to play at that level, how busy they want their summer to be, what their what their own ability are abilities are to to fund that, along with their family. So we have a a really wide spectrum of offerings down in in this part of the state. And I guess what I'm getting at is, we have kids going with different coaches quite a bit throughout the winter, then the summer. So there, it's not like the kids are going from our high school program right into the same Legion program where it's the everyone's playing for the same coach. So I think we we have so many kids going on to so many different teams, and I think it's great because I I think the kids are able to see a different leadership style. They're able to hear a different voice for a while throughout that that summer and, and fall season, and then those winter sessions. And I think we have a lot of really good club coaches in this part of the state that do a lot for the kids and can work with them. And, and Tim, obviously, you know, we can't work with these kids in the winter. So I think if they can get quality instruction in, in the in the winter as they lead into the high school baseball season, I think it benefits the kids and it benefits our high school programs with the way the kids are coming in. But no, I think it's I think it's great where the kids are able to hear some different voices and big picture, learn how to work with different people who are the, their coach or the, or their their leader um, because they're they're going to have to work for people at, at some point and they're not always going to be able to be working with the same person. Well, what a phenomenal perspective. You know, I feel like we talk to coaches, both you and I do in our circles and, you know, there seems sometimes there's tension, sometimes there's cooperation, uh, but just understanding the, the reality of where we are, uh, I, you know, really appreciate your perspective. Well, 
Um, another thing I want to pivot to is, you know, Thanksgiving Day, you get a phone call, the phone call that um, you get the call for that you, you are a member of the WBCA Hall of Fame. So I just want to dig into that for a while. Talk us through that day. You know, when you think about, like, what does it mean to you to be inducted to the Hall of Fame? Well, I'm incredibly humbled and honored. And getting that call on uh, Thanksgiving Day was uh, was stunning. And it all throughout the day, it brought back so many memories, uh, both the good times that I've had in coaching and, and also the challenging times. Uh, and even brought up some of the, the funny memories that have uh, – that happened over the years. And you know, in coaching, there, there are things that happen that you remember years after the fact that, that were maybe so, um, so minor, but they were, they were funny and everybody kind of just broke out laughing that it's something you remember long after the fact. So I was just kind of thinking about all those good memories. It, it's a, it's a huge honor. And it's one that I owe uh, to the people who have impacted my life in, in so many ways. Uh, my parents, my grandparents, uh, my coaches, um, that I that I've played for and and the coaches that I'm I'm fortunate enough to coach with here at the school and and of course my wife and daughter uh, just people who have had a huge impact on me and I I couldn't be uh, more proud of it in part because I, I care so much about the WBCA and, and Wisconsin baseball so just very very honored and humbled. Uh, we're, we're excited to hear uh, the five minutes the five minute speech here in February. But uh, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show was to to have some more time to reflect on on the career that that has been. But also, you're still coaching. You're still in it. You know, a lot of guys that get in the Hall of Fame are either on the backside of their career or have retired. So my question for you is, and I guess you kind of hit on this. You know, you don't validate your career or your success by wins and losses as much. But what keeps you going every year? Now that you've hit this huge milestone, what keeps you going? Well, I feel like I've got a lot of years left, um, and I'm not even thinking about the end of the line with my coaching career. Um, my, my goal has always been to make our baseball program uh, the best experience I can uh, for the players and actually make it their best experience in high school. And I know that's not going to be the case for every single kid, but that's what drives me. Uh, there's a excitement that builds inside when we're making progress on anything, uh, whether it be upgrading our facilities or getting that uniform order finalized or, or new hats or finding a new drill at the ABCA clinic uh, or a new way of explaining something that we have implemented in our program already, something to make it more understandable. Whatever we're making that progress, we're, we're streamlining things. We've we've upgraded our pregame routine. We've, we've got a, a, a new way of explaining a, a bunt coverage. We've got um, a, a new hitting drill that we really think is going to be advantageous for some of the kids. Um, our program has always been about the experience of the players and, and serving them is what drives me. And it's a, it's a funny thing, you know, right, right after that news about the hall of fame became public. Um, one of the the guys who works at some of our basketball games said, man, that's great. He said, you know, so, so what do you do after this? I mean, how do you, how do you keep that fire? And, and you know, what do you do now that you're hall of fame? I mean, how do you keep going? And I said, and I said, and just kind of came naturally and it's the truth. I didn't start coaching to get into the Hall of Fame, so I'm not going to stop coaching because I'm getting in the Hall of Fame. It's just something that that I want to provide to these kids, and it means a lot to me because I came up through our program, and it, it had a huge impact on me, and, and I want to be able to pay it forward to the future generations of kids coming through Trumper. That's a phenomenal answer, by the way. I um, It got me thinking about um... – like you're, you're, you're a learner, you're a clinic clinician, you're going to clinics, you are a reader, you got your network of coaches. 
So going into 2023, like what are you working on right now? Is there a project that you have in your program? Is there some area you're trying to spend more time on to be a little bit sharper for 2023? I am. I'm really uh, trying to look at our program manual and do everything I can to make it as simple as I can uh, for the coaches. And I'm trying to go through there with a fine tooth comb. And, and in essence, if it's not something we use often, let's get rid of it. Um, Mike Bianco said it great at the ABCA clinic. Uh, you can teach the kids anything, uh, but you can't teach them everything. Uh, so we have to kind of pick and choose. It's it's not what we're teaching them. It's really what we're emphasizing that they're going to that they're going to take and run with. So we could throw a hundred things at them and have them do them all okay, or we could take fifteen things um, and let's do them really well. And that's kind of the process I'm going through right now is just fine tuning that program manual to make it as workable and as usable for our coaches because that is in essence our curriculum guide for the baseball program. That's just such a such an educator's response, right? Just that curriculum guide and pacing and what can they actually do at this level? Because I think a lot of coaches, I know myself, I'll put myself in this category. There's times we want to tell them how much we know. We want to, in essence, show off. And I know this, I learned this drill. I've, you know, and then it's it's just too much for a 16-year-old. It's too much for an 18-year-old. So just to simplify, I love that answer. Um, are there things that recently maybe on the baseball skill-wise that you've changed on that you maybe taught a certain way and now you've you've switched up on that based on something you learned? There is over the last uh, couple of years since I believe it was the 2021 season, we, we've changed our, our leadoffs and our steel reads um, a lot more uh, to really kind of tailor it to what the player's uh, uh, skill set and physicality is in their athleticism. And we've given them more flexibility in choosing which steel lead that they're or their which leadoff they're they're going to use, and it, it couples more with uh, with new school leads and steals. And it's something that that's been uh, quite advantageous for our program. And, and some kids are more comfortable about it or with it than others. And some kids are are really kind of up in the air on on which method they they like more, but they. They have some flexibility to to test some things and, and to use them without going into too much detail. Um, but I think it's really paid dividends for our program and given the kids a, a lot more uh, confidence running the bases. And I, I also think that uh, in general, I think we've done a, a better job over the last few years to teach the mindset needed to win. Um, that whole that whole philosophy of next pitch. Um, and a lot of that change when I when I matured and put less pressure on myself. So it's just about the mindset on that pitch and then ultimately trying to win the inning and put the the good things and the bad things behind you and, and think about that next pitch mentality. And I think those are, are two things that that we've changed the way we teach. And I think that it's relieved some of the pressure on the kids, especially that next pitch mentality. And I think it's it's shown dividends for our program. Makes a lot of sense. Um, th this next question kind of came, I was on Twitter a couple of days ago and someone made this post about, you know, what's a baseball hill you're willing to die on. And I thought, well, that's a little aggressive, but maybe it like, is there something that you believe baseball wise that maybe others might disagree with you on, you know, is there some unwritten rule of baseball or something that, you know, most guys would do and you do a little bit differently, like talk us some more baseball. I don't mind stealing third base uh, with no outs or two outs. Um, 
I think making that first or third out at third is is a, a great uh, traditional rule in, in baseball that you, you, know, you just don't do that. Uh, but I feel like if our checkpoints are there um, and we can get a kid to, to third with uh, with no outs, I think it's great. I think I think your chances of scoring him are, are, are very high with two outs. I think there's always a chance, especially in the high school baseball game, that that ball goes down the left field line. Now you've, now you've got to run with two outs that you really didn't earn other than just running from from second to third. And I, I think more in a bigger picture of base running, I think it teaches fearlessness on the part of the base runner and, and allows the kids to to literally play the game more and, and not be so robotic. Um, so that, that's something, and again, we we pick our spots for that and, and the checkpoints had to be there. But that whole stealing uh, third base, I, I don't want to put limits uh, on the, the kids or when we're going to do it. If it's there, we're going to take a shot at it. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I just, you know, you sit and watch a, a Brewer game, a Major League Baseball game, you know, it's the old don't make the first or last out at home or third, you know, all these things. And right. I think you and I coaches at our level realize we're not playing the same game they are, right? They're, right. It, it, and it's, it, it's so funny because, you know, I, I grew up with the Brewers and, and, and I'm a huge Brewer fan. Um, and a lot of kids watch Major League Baseball. Um, down in this part of the state, we have as many Cubs fans as we do Brewers fans. And, and the kids watch the games, uh, but it's, especially with kids who are relatively new to high school. And we tell them, hey, guys, if, if you really want to want to learn baseball, um, Major League Baseball is a lot different than what we're doing. Uh, watch watch college baseball. Go out and see Carthage or Parkside just here locally or, or go out to UW-Whitewater or even, you know, there's more and more college baseball on TV just to see the the passion that the game is, is played at and and the the momentum swings that goes through. Not only that, but but the aggressiveness and, and some of the strategy that you just don't see at the major league level anymore. Major league baseball is great. Not, and I'll, I'll always watch it. Uh, but as, as far as finding something that's more similar to our game, uh, you, you can't beat college baseball. I could not agree with you anymore. I, now I got to ask you this question. You mentioned, you know, you're a big coach K fan, right? Duke basketball. Is there a college baseball program or is there a college baseball coach that you maybe have come across over going to clinics or reading or listening to something that you think, yeah, you know, I really connect with that guy or that program. Sure. Um, got a chance to have a, a conversation with, with uh, Tim Corbin, um, not the not this last ABCA in Nashville, but, but the one before it. And I'm sure he doesn't even remember it now, but just really um, appreciate and respect his, his analytical approach uh, with the Vanderbilt program where everything's done for a reason. And if you don't have a reason for doing it, then why are you doing it? And things are organized at, at a really high level. Um so that that really struck a chord with me. And the other thing is the way that they establish team culture and have the older kids take care of the younger kids uh, really has impacted our program quite a bit. And I've taken a, a lot from um, not only what we what he said in that conversation, but just in in opportunities I've heard to to hear him coach. And then um, probably about 10 years ago or so, was really fortunate to uh, to hear Augie Garrido speak and, and just by coincidence was sitting by a coach who knew him and, and got into a, a probably about a half hour conversation and really just kind of, kind of listened and was a, was a fly on the wall in that conversation and, and uh, really, really enjoyed the time there about thinking about baseball in a bigger context about um, being something very similar to, to, to life where there are setbacks and kids are learning a lot about themselves and about life 
and using baseball as that vehicle. That was around that same time I was doing the inside out coaching uh, training. So it really resonated with me. Well, there's two giants right there, right? You talk about the Mount Rushmore of college baseball. You could probably throw those two guys on there for sure. And, you know, when you talk about your classroom, you know, your pre-practice classroom setting, I know Coach Corbin, you know, was, I don't want maybe not the first, but one of the first to really roll that out. And, you know, obviously a very different setup at Vanderbilt than us high school coaches have, but, you know, you can create your own classroom. Love that. Appreciate that. Uh, a couple more questions for you. Kind of the Brian Kane million dollar question. Like, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you started coaching? I think I'm enjoying it a lot more now than when I first started. And I know that um, when I became head coach, uh, Coach Coach Halefka said, hey, you got to enjoy it. And I and I, I heard him, um, but I didn't hear him. Um, I, I probably didn't enjoy it as much as I, I should have until about the last 10 or 12 years. And I was really result focused and focused on just building the program and getting the results. And we actually got better results when I just focused on controlling the things that I could control. And we tell this to the kids all the time, control the controllables. I became more processed or process oriented and the results kind of took care of themselves. I, I think it put less pressure on the kids and I think it put less pressure on the coaches. And it's, it's been a, game changer for our program. I think the other thing I, I learned is that this isn't college baseball. We have a ton of time in the preseason to get the team to where we want it to be. And even at the college level, they're not, you know, not a finished product by game one, but we're not going to be a finished product on April 1st. We're, we've basically been added about 10 days, two weeks or so um, by about April 1st or that season opener, which always seems to be like about April 4th or 5th. And it's a building process. And the hope is that we're going to be at our best as we get down that stretch run in, into June into the playoffs. And I really have seen the growth of our teams increase since I've kind of taken that mindset where we're not going to just push, push, push to get a hundred things installed. We're going to go into these first games and, and there may not be uh, a full installation at that point. There be, might be a number of things that we just haven't gone over yet but I think that's where having a, a solid program manual is is important in terms of what are our priorities here? What are the what are the things that are most likely to happen in the game? And then do some backwards planning, install those and let the chips fall where they may. And if you haven't really gone over that that you know that double cut, well, you you work on it at some point. Um, but there are other things that really have to take precedent as you're getting the team ready in 10 days or two weeks for that opener. Yeah. I think that's a great conversation that I think coaches have all the time. You know, do you try to install everything in the beginning and then just correct along the way, or do you strategically roll it out? And then like you said, if you don't have that double cut or that force balk, mm -hmm. fake pickoff, fall down defense in, you know, <laughs> by game one, you, right. you just, you know, you try to put it in. I think that's, tells us a lot about, like I said, what you're working on this offseason is trying to simplify, simplify, simplify. Right. And, um, I, and I don't want to, I don't want to paralyze these kids with, with so much stuff that they have to remember because we're sitting here and they're barely two weeks into it and they've gotten information overload. And I don't want them to be robotic. I want them to be able to play the game and, and not have to second guess themselves about if they, if they have, um, you know, 20 signs correct. Yeah, I think I think all of us are shaking our head and smiling because I think we've all been there. Um, 
Well, hey, th- th- there's almost an hour that went, um, you know, by with with you and I here, Coach. So, uh, for a second second time, just congrats again on the Hall of Fame. Just uh, unbelievable uh, recognition. So happy for you. Can't wait to uh, see you in in your speech in February. But this is kind of where I turn the mic off, and I want to let you roll as long as you want to roll. Just give us some advice. You've given us so much already. Send us down a better path. Um, advice to coaches. Okay. I, I think that I mean, it's ironic because the day I got the news about going into the Hall of Fame, I was uh, just reading some stuff online. It was Thanksgiving Day, so it was pretty low key. And I, I found a uh, football coach um, who's pretty active on Twitter, I believe it was, and he's out in the San Diego area. And he had some really simple advice to coaches. So I'm, I'm simply parroting what, what he put out there is be the coach that your players will never forget not because you knew the game so well, not because you had the most championship rings, uh, not even because you were the toughest, uh, but because you loved your players with all your heart and you gave them all you had. And I think if if coaches just hear that and really hear it, they really understand what their why is and why they got into this in the first place. And it's it's really to build uh, kids. It, it's We all love the game of baseball and all of us want to win the games, but it's really to to have a relationship with these kids uh, be an impact on them and hopefully 10 or 20 years when those kids are looking back at people who shaped them you played some role in that I think if we do that we've been successful and there it is huge thank you goes out to coach Matera for taking time to sit down with us today um, I guess you know now that you listen to it you could probably hear why I kind of left this one till right before our season starts and just to put things into perspective, I mean, they're talking about a Hall of Fame coach who's talking about being transformational versus transactional, talking about decades from now, looking at you know measuring success and impact and influence on kids. I mean, that is just powerful. It's, it's phenomenal to hear, um, and he lives it. He doesn't just say it on a podcast, he lives it. Which, which we you know, completely appreciate. I think it's a message that all of us need to hear. I know I need to hear it more and more often um, as I get caught up in you know, what can this kid do for us? What can this kid do for the program? How can he help us win? Especially as we look down the barrel of tryouts here. Um, the other piece too is you know, as we transition to our seasons, um, typically this would be the end of, of the podcast, right? Seven innings in a game, but I had to sneak one more episode in. There's just one more guy I had to get on. So, you know, don't quit on us now. I'm going to release in a days now uh, another episode, a little bit of an extra innings um, in a very unique situation that's going on across the state of Wisconsin. So uh, there's my teaser for you. Uh, Best of luck as you're finishing up Pitchers and Catchers Week here in 2023 if you're listening to this the day it releases. Uh, Best of luck looking into tryouts. And I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to take take this episode in. So until then, have a great rest of your day.